customer advocacy platform Mention Me recently hosted Advocacy Engineered, the world's leading event on the power of customer advocacy. More than 200 senior marketers from brands including Puma, Deliveroo, Charlotte Tilbury, Marks & Spencer, John Lewis, Farfetch and other big names joined us in London to hear from industry experts on how to drive sustainable business growth in the tough times ahead. This podcast series presents the live recordings of each of our speakers on the day. The one you're about to listen to features a CMO panel discussion on how to make referral work. Hello, everybody. Welcome. You've ascended from the darkness of the tunnel into the light of the upper room. Uh, So we've got um, 40 minutes and a couple of incredibly uh, experienced and talented panellists. We're going to explore the topic of what it means to actually harness the things that we've been talking about all day to drive growth of business. I'm going to let the panellists introduce themselves in a minute. But just by way of personal introduction, I'm Simon, I'm COO at Mention Me, and I've been running referral and advocacy programs at Mention Me in one form or another for seven years now, so I have a little bit of experience. Um, but welcome up here. Well, let's, uh, let's start to get into it. Now, um, Tony and Laura, I would love to hear from you about a brief introduction to you and your experience, and, and also as part of that, love to hear about something that you currently advocate for, a brand a service, a product, anything at all that isn't your current employer. Um, nice to see everybody and great to be in a room with light as well. So um, I currently am VP of growth and performance uh, marketing at WW Weight Watchers and have been there for the last two years. So an interesting ride during um, COVID. I started on the day of lockdown uh, and went in to transform the marketing team. So spent a lot of the time doing a lot of restructure to really um, build a team ready for our digital first future, I think, in terms of what we all know about um, WW, which is great that we're here today to talk about, is our members and our advocates, uh, known as a uh, physical first business, but we're a digital app at the heart. So how do you kind of transition and do both physical and digital? Uh, So um, it was an interesting dynamic during COVID we can get into. Uh, And then previous to that, I spent five years at the Walt Disney Company, uh, again, doing digital transformation across um, EMEA, managing all of the uh, 23 markets that we had and trying to unite our consumer experience across all of our brands and all of our lines of business. So if you think about Disney and all of the multitudes of brands and franchises they had, how as a consumer do you experience the the totality of that uh, succinctly? So I was helping um, build that in the readiness for Disney Plus. Great. And what would you advocate for? What would I advocate you've for? Got a, you've got an audience here. Like, what, are you, what would you recommend to them? Well, I would recommend, as I do pretty much every time I'm on the common with my dog, um, I did get a lockdown puppy uh, two years ago, Jack Daniels, uh, <laughs> after my favorite drink, a little cavapoo, um, and have found through the course of owning and training him, he's a very fussy food eater, and we've tried multiple things, but the one thing that he loves and eats um, um, all the time, and then stuck to it is butternut box. So you have food. butternuts team actually here. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You're my dog savior. He doesn't eat, and that's the only thing he eats. So uh, thank you. <laughs> Our freezer is full of it. We need to get a bigger, bigger freezer. <laughs> thank you. Fab. So um, I'm Laura Riches. Uh, I love wine. Uh, So my first job in wine was actually as marketing director um, of Naked Wines, who you might uh, know as uh, an online retailer subscription business, but was at the time part of Majestic. Um, So I was 
the, the marketing director there for several years, absolutely loved kind of thinking about how to tell the story of our winemakers, um, to get customers to advocate for us, um, and led three years of record-breaking growth um, at Naked Wines. Um, I subsequently left Naked Wines in 2018, had my daughter, um, and had to think about if I was going to start my own business, what would it be? Um, and it was actually a moment of serendipity. I'd been thinking about, well, I, I love wine. Um, I really care about sustainability. Um, so that's a, you know, something I'm interested in. Um, I love having the odd glass on a Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. And actually, currently, you've got to think, do I open a bottle? Do I not? Um, and boxed wine answers a lot of those questions. But so far, I mean, I mean, probably quite a few of you. Who, who's had boxed wine in this in this room? And you know, for whom was that probably quite a horrible experience? <laughs> um, so um, you know, there's no reason why that needs to be the case. So I had this idea: can we make boxed wine luxury? Um, and it just so happened that my friend, also called Laura, I'm not talking in the third person, uh, texted me um, and said, "I've had this idea. It's it's." to start a, a box wine company. And I had to you know, screenshot my screen and say, I've had this idea too. Um, and we started this in 2020, in the November. Um, it went viral. So um, we sold out of the first 2,000 liters of our wine within two weeks um, with zero marketing spend, um, thanks to a bit of help from William Sitwell from The Telegraph. Um, and since then, we've grown into um, a business that serves direct consumer on our um, website. Uh, we sell into bars and restaurants, and we've just hired our seventh person, which is, for a tiny business like ours, a big milestone. That's what I do these days. And who do I advocate for? Well, firstly, Butternut Box, even though I don't even have a dog, because I think <laughs> what they do is absolutely amazing. Um, I think the other business that I absolutely love is Gusto. Um, I've been a member of them, uh, a member of Gusto for probably four or five years now, so early um, incumbent, and I just think... Um, their strap line, you know, the most beloved way to, to eat dinner is totally true. Like, I love the, getting to the end of the day, pouring a glass of wine um, and making my gusto recipe. So I'd have to say gusto. Great. Thank you. Um, I always like asking the question of who, you, who would you recommend or who have you recommended recently? Because you can see pretty much a light goes on behind people's eyes when they are entranced in the concept <laughs> of wanting to advocate and sell for it. And it's it's difficult sometimes when you're in the day-to-day -to, -day to think that is what you're trying to engender. So I, I'd encourage you all to think about what has made you recommend something or ask your customers what makes them recommend you. Now, um, we heard a lot this morning about customer love being an engine for growth for a business. So I was wondering if, if you could talk to the extent to which um, community of advocates and customers who really care and love for you is important for you and your your business model and your future growth plans um, for, for your businesses. And Laura, would you, maybe you could take a, yeah. give us the insights so away. Obviously, um, as we're a really young business, we have this great opportunity right now, which is the people who've discovered us are very likely to be evangelical about what we do because they've, you know, they're ahead of the crowd. They've, um, you know, made a smart decision. They feel like they're sort of early incumbents. Um, so, what we're trying to do is actually something that was spoken about quite a lot downstairs is to you know ask customers why have you chosen Lalo? And it's really bloody painful. Like if I'm if I'm honest, like you know, asking that question sounds very simple when you're like, and then you implemented and asked. But reading the responses can be like, you know, ouch, that's a bit painful, or or really great, you know, the highs and lows. But what we're trying to do is to take the words 
customers use and to take the language that they use to tell other people about our business and apply that into our marketing so that we can kind of mimic the you know, um, powerful language that our early incumbents use in our own sort of wider scalable marketing. I think the, the primary thing that we're doing at the moment is asking why Lalo, what did you love, what did you hate? And you're able to pick up and see what those people are saying about you as well from the outside world in some form. You, yeah. You're checking the social. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I mean, obsessively. Um, but we we had a bit of a eureka moment really on that front because up until um, you know middle of last year, everything we'd done was remote and everything was digital. So we didn't you know we would read customer reviews, we'd read we trust pilot, but to an extent people had curated what they wanted to say. Um, and what was really kind of powerful was we did a pop-up in Selfridges um, over Christmas. And it was that moment when someone would come over and they'd try our product and they'd go, Oi, Susan, come over here. This is like posh box wine. Or, you know, <laughs> and taking those words. And like, because it was so raw and it was like the best experience. I actually went to the, the pop-up every single day, even though it was like the busiest time for direct-to-consumer because hearing those you know, real world descriptions of what our, uh, you know, our wine was and what, you know, oh, it tastes better than I thought it would actually, you know, like that, those kind of like phrases were so important and we've really sort of changed how we talk about, you know, our, our product as a result. Oh, so great example of listening to the customers. And yeah, really literally one-to-one -one learning, yeah. yeah. And I guess WW is very different from scale and size and, and offer to Lele, but what, how do you think about yeah, but at the heart of it, it's still about our members and our, and our community and consumers. And so if you think about it, um, it's been around for 60 years and um, it was the original social network in that sense where uh, Jean started it as a community. She knew that actually um, you will find more success on your health and wellness and weight loss journey if you're, if you're in a community and you're, you're holding each other accountable. And so we've built and continue to grow in that success ever since she started it. But obviously things change and, we're, and we evolve and community um, is different today than it, than it was 60 years ago. And so it's trying to stay in the front foot of that. And I think part of that is really not walking away from what your consumers think and feel. And I, um, the last two years have been interesting in the sense where community as as Weight Watchers has known it primarily, vanished in, the, in, in a day or two when lockdown happened. And so we had to pivot and we pivoted globally in six days to move from a physical environment into a virtual environment. And we're able to train all of our coaches on Zoom, but also trying to educate our consumers on how to use Zoom in the same way that they were used to going and, and having physical contact with people and, and conversation. And, and, it, and it has been a test and learn period over that whole entire two years. But what we've taken is every single time we can, after every single meeting, virtual or now physical or through email, we, we listen to our consumers and ask what they liked about it, what they didn't, what they want from it. And we, we were able to evolve our offerings over through lockdown because of what consumers wanted and needed, uh, and we were able to um, build and, and develop um, to keep them happy coming back and satisfied and ultimately successful on their um, health and wellness journey. Well, okay, and so you, you've already built that and operationalized that kind of feedback loop from the people who are participating in the programs yeah, out in the field. Yeah. That must be very powerful. And what, what have you learned about the customers that are 
most likely to be the well, the better customers, the more successful advocates for for the for the brand. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because we and we do have a handful of member uh, ambassadors that we use to help promote because our, our our brand essentially is faceless. Our brand is our members, and and we are only as good as our net promoter score or what customers consumers feel about us, and and that then um, uh, dictates how long they'll stay mm -hmm. in terms of their own successful journey. Um, but what we've learned um, from them is being able to be nimble and, and, and respond. So, for, for example, in, in lockdown, we were talking earlier, you know, people, the whole cooking sensation and trying to feel like you're part of something, you know, we, we understood through doing, um, what, doing surveys of what they were lacking is setting up live cooking sessions. So actually bringing to life the recipes that are on the app, how to, you know, and, and making food that actually... Is, is tasty and um, on the healthy side uh, for you, but you're not losing that whole idea of it's not a diet or restriction. So mm -hmm. actually working with our consumers and, um, and, 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 and making food with them. Um, the other piece was getting them up and out. So the whole idea of exercise and a lot of our members are older, uh, our core members, you know, are, you know, 45 plus, but also there, we have a big cohort that is 60 plus. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them do have a significant amounts of weight to lose and, and aren't as agile and, and mobile. So we have to figure out the, the level of activities. So walking has been a really big USP of ours and trying to encourage uh, walking workshops. So getting people out. So you're still only be able to we're walking, you know, on your own or with one other person, but we set up virtual walking workshops where you could actually be outside and commune and talk with hundreds of people around the country. Oh, wow. That's a nice, nice way of keeping people active yeah. during those yeah. tricky months. Excellent. And, and Laura, have you been able to identify any particular behaviors from the customers that you're acquiring and that indicate their future yeah. referral, referral likelihood or even their quality of yeah, so it's, it's something that um, we were we thought about a lot at Naked Wines. So me and my co-founder, obviously, were both at Naked Wines, so take a lot of those kind of learnings. Um, and something that we were very hot on, because we were, were spending a lot of money on acquisition at Naked, was how can we make sure that we are recruiting, I'm going to say, the right kind of customer, but high-quality high mm -hmm. customers, and what are the indicators that we can look for that will help us, you know, figure out who they're going to be. And also, you know, to, to your point and, and with the ethos of mentioned me, you know, who are the customers who are going to be very valuable to us, but also who are the customers who have the highest propensity to, um, to uh, refer. Yeah. And that was something we looked at in granular detail at Naked Wines. Um, so in terms of how we then applied that at Lalo, and it's, it's really frustrating, right, when you go from a business that has tons of data to starting something from zero, where you kind of have to make a few assumptions. <laughs> like you're like, well, of my 20 customers I've had so far. <laughs> um, so um, we have taken some of those kind of um, starting points, such as, you know, what does it, what does a customer tell us the first time they buy from us? So does it mean something if they buy more than one box? Well, actually, yes. You know, a customer who buys two boxes in their first order is far more valuable to us in the long term than someone who just buys one, I guess, because it becomes part of, I shouldn't guess, I should just ask, um, but, you know, because it becomes part of their, their drinking, it, you know, it becomes more of a lifestyle than if they just buy one to take to a party or give as a gift. Um, some of the really interesting things we've looked at um, have been around what they buy first. 
So someone who buys a red wine from us is far more likely to be a, a valuable customer than someone who buys rosé to start. That said, we have a new rosé next week. So uh, right. I have just become a customer of yeah, and I've just bought, bought some rosé. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, the, the sorts of indicators that they give us in terms of then how quickly they come back to the website. Do they leave a review on Trustpilot? So we're kind of in the process of bringing that all together. Um, I think my most interesting anecdote is probably something we observed at Naked Wines, uh, which was around this perception of quality. So how does the experience someone has in their first order um, impact their long-term value to us? So we, we ran this test where we said, well, we have this acquisition case and the wines are, you know, crowd pleasing styles and most people will choose the acquisition case. Um, so we created two versions of this, one that had a, the great set of wines, crowd pleasing styles, the other that had exactly the same wines, except for we had a higher grade of glass, so the bottles were heavier. Um, and actually we saw it was a statistically significant um, improvement um, in the retention from first order to second order for the customers who had bought the heavier glass wines because people just assume because something is heavy that it's better quality and you know we've run similar tests with things like corks versus screw cap which is obviously not great running a, a boxed wine company I have a whole heap of, of stigmas to overcome but it's just really interesting when you know we are trying to take that that granularity of thinking and that kind of open-mindedness to Lalo with albeit a, a much smaller data set but it's really fascinating yeah. love it if you can get in there it sounds like you're leaning very much into the early adopters being likely to be advocates for you. And so mm -hmm. you were saying earlier that you, or the Telegraph wine and food critic picking yeah. up was a, a big spur for you in the early days. Yeah. Are you able to uh, harness the advocates uh, in, or how do you look to harness those advocates as well, they are today? It's, so I, I'm going to say that we, we probably don't do the best job of it right now. Um, we have, uh, so up until fairly recently, it's been two people and an army of freelancers, which is, you know, <laughs> now I look back on the last year, I'm like, we definitely should have hired some people sooner, but that was a learning, right? So um, I think that um, what we've tried to do, or what we've observed actually, is that when you're in a big business, so at Naked Wines, if you'd asked me like five years ago, I would have said, oh, it's a waste of time doing PR. I mean, I know that's really stupid, but that is what, what I would have said, because you just don't see any benefit from it. Um, but actually what, I have observed at Lalo and starting with brand recognition of zero, like this brand didn't exist two years ago, um, is the cumulative impact of PR reviews and people saying nice things about you. Um, and to date, this has helped us because we've seen, um, you know, as we've had more PR, as we've had more kind of nice words in the ether about us, more brand marketing, our CPA, our cost per acquisition has declined. Um, so I could draw a graph between the kind of amount of coverage we've got from influencers and from PR and my CPA, and those two things would be inversely correlated. Um, but also now what we're starting to do is to try and think of ways that we can harness that information and regurgitate it basically to customers so you know we we ran a campaign recently that was this is what people have said about our rosé like we you know we could say it but here's what people are saying and that was one of our best performing email campaigns um in our paid social we're trying to kind of use some of the um particularly sort of 
in, in wine, there's a real sort of culture of what the critics say matters. So, you know, I have to kind of schmooze critics to get them say, to say nice things about us. And actually, so far they have. So, you know, trying to kind of use that information um, and to deploy it in multiple different places in a way that feels on brand and, you know, that isn't just like, we're wonderful, but, you know, helping people to understand more about the category. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then let's try and uh, narrow down what the sort of DNA of an advocacy-driven business might look like, drawing from your vast experience across many different brands. Um, what, kind of, what kind of qualities or attributes do you think a business needs to have or needs to, a business needs to know or needs to do in order to be starting to drive advocacy and to harness that power in the customer base? Tony, is that something you can talk to from your yeah, time? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a longer term game. So I don't think it is, for us specifically, in, uh, I was thinking back at Disney and, and um, uh, Weight Watchers, it's a longer term game. So it's not a short term tactic, I think. So from a business perspective, it's like you have to convince your board and your executive leadership that investment in it is important. One for the voice and the brand recognition and just the cumulative effect that you're going to get from that. And it's going to help longer term make your performance media work harder. Uh, so first thing is it needs to be um, a consistent, always on program that you're going to look at, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, medium and longer term um, milestones. Uh, and it's finding then the right types of people that are going to be the strongest advocates. So we have an array um, uh, of advocates that start from um, members, so real life people that are on the program and that are um, uh, successful at losing weight, but also maintaining. So there you've got the two halves of the yeah. story of like, I have been able to lose weight and I am feeling more confident in myself and I'm feeling healthier, but also I'm, I'm using Weight Watchers um, to maintain. So I don't kind of um, mm -hmm. peak flow. So finding a group of people that can really authentically in their own voice um, communicate why it's been successful for them so that other people can relate to them. And it's a mix of, of, um, of people. So you need, you need um, age ranges, you need um, diversity in terms of uh, um, male and female and you know, um, race, et cetera, so that it, everyone feels um, uh, that they can relate to those individuals. You then kind of have what we call our tastemaker level, where it is those kind of paid advocates those are that are at the smaller cusp of of um, followings again, so that you don't lose credibility. I think in what, what, and why they're doing it for you. And I think we've seen a lot of that happen, and a lot of backlash with consumers against those type of people. So again, it's that fine balance of finding um, authentically relatable, but um, uh, tastemakers that um, uh, have a reason to be um, partnering with you, all the way up through to um, celebrity. So we've got everything from you know the James Corden. Uh, level, but also locally, Lorraine, who has worked really well for us, and you know, there's there's an authenticity that comes with her. So there's, I guess, in summary, it's 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 the breadth, it's the it's it's not short term, it's the long term game, and you need to have people at every level that actually can authentically talk about your brand, but in a way that feels real to them, as much as it stays true to you. That's interesting because yeah, one of the first things you said actually was the uh, sounds like you had to persuade. The senior powers that be to give you the the uh, the space to yeah. pursue that strategy. Yeah. I was going to one of the questions I was going to have was the degree to which you have to balance the sort of short term. I've got to hit the numbers this month or yeah. this quarter with the 
long-term yeah. view of I think the best thing for this business is to be focused. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a daily pressure <laughs> mind, and to, or my, and my, and my team, not just me, um, to, to look at and to balance that and, and to balance the, the marketing dollars effectively to make sure that you are getting the right um, you know, long-term value to, to customer acquisition uh, ratios, the right channels are in the mix. Um, we're constantly having conversations about traffic and performance and signups and what we need to do mm -hmm. short term. And it is trying to just ring fence a, a portion of your budget to kind of do long term that isn't gonna that is that isn't going to hit the daily and weekly numbers. And it's I, you, sometimes I feel like I'm on autopilot and saying the same thing over and over again to my to my leadership in terms of that. Like, because, but it has to be done because it. Um, otherwise, people in, in, the, in the world we live in right now and the two years that we've just had, and I think most business will find short term has been the focus because we have to get, you know, month by month those numbers in. And now it's trying to take a step back and actually ensure that long term is there as much as, as short term. It's a slightly different dynamic for you, or I guess you are the boss, so you, you don't have to... Oh, write the numbers. Um, well, I mean, we, we recently took on, well, we've, we've done a pre-seed and a seed round of investment. So we do have investors who we're um, accountable to. And um, I think that something that me and Laura um, hold very close is, you know, what <laughs> the, the plan that we've put forward is ambitious. And I want to be ambitious for our business. Like, I don't want to be okay with us, you know, being a really small wine brand, um, you know, for, forever. Like, I, I, I'm so excited about that trajectory. So I think for us, the challenge is holding, you know, when you're a small team, holding yourself accountable to the numbers, carving out time, like you say, to invest in long-term growth. And I think also saying no to things that feel inauthentic to your brand. Like, there have been hundreds of things that have come hundreds probably tens of things that have opportunities that have come up you know whether it's to work with a particular brand or whether it's you know to do a partnership or, or whatever it might be where it's not really the right fit and I think it would be very easy at the stage I'm at um, or we're at as a business to be like okay we're going to do this we're going to do that we're going to do this we're going to do that and I think you know we are trying to be choosy about you know what is the long-term benefit to our business from this activity and then also what is the short-term benefit that helps us you know achieve our goals it's really hard it's, it's hard. really it is hard because really like, short-term wins 90 percent of the time right now sometimes so but it is trying to keep that long-term yeah. game and the and the um and the need to invest in that and that balance of the two um yeah and and how much of that is the role your role as VP growth marketing and how much of that is responsibility to the whole business and how do you encourage the uh, everyone else to be taking that approach as well? Yeah, interesting, because I think community is everyone's responsibility and customer experience lives in marketing, but also the whole business has to own it. And so we have an ops team that takes care of all of our workshops, our virtual and our physical workshops, and the customer experience that lives and breathes in there. And then we kind of help promote that. So it's like, it has, it is a business, community is a business ownership. It is not just a marketing team's ownership. I'm, and I'm, a, and I'm very vocal about that. And I feel like, you know, they are our number one fan. And, and, you know, in the, um, the session that we had just before down there, it's like you have to listen to the negativity and actually lean into that and not shy away from it. And I think we've had a lot of that from a workshop business that we're trying to work through now, quite honestly, because 
we had to down tool during COVID. We had to, obviously everything moved to virtual. And as lockdown started to ease, we started to open up our physical business again, but not at the scale that we were at um, pre-COVID because we had to furlough a lot of our coaches and we had to make some people redundant. And now we're trying to rebuild that back up. And, you know, we were running 5,000 workshops a week, you know, before um, COVID, we're now at a thousand and that's not enough. And so it's just trying to find that white balance because everything we're hearing that clouds all, a lot of the good stuff that we're doing and the good stuff we're hearing, the, the only thing that I hear is I'd rejoin again if there was a workshop in my area. I'd rejoin again if you this. Why did you cancel? Why did you make your coaches redundant? Why don't you have a workshop here? The one that that I used to go to is now the next one is, you know, 12 miles away. Like that's all I hear. And and one thing that's good because we're trying to fix that and find that right balance of getting to that right level of workshop because they're expensive to run too. So you have to understand that um, the, the, the profitability piece to it as well. But, um, and then in my case, not forgetting some of the good stuff that we were doing and it's trying to teach the teams to be like lean into that, but getting them, getting our members to be our advocates and cheerleaders so that we're not the only ones responding to those social comments that our members are also responding to it as well. So there, then it can kind of galvanize in and of itself. Hmm. Okay, it becomes a bit more self-sustaining. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. And as you scale, Laura, I'm guessing these challenges to a certain extent must lie ahead of you in terms of how you take the passion of a founder and scale yeah. that out across the, a team to make sure the customer experience is prime. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a benefit when you're a founder and particularly when you're um, a little team which we have been until recently um <laughs> but it's that you you are responding to every single customer email you know that it looks like you know it comes through to like hello app but that's basically me it has been me and laura and so having you know, being there at the cold face and being able to kind of force to listen and respond has been really valuable um one thing we were very clear about when we were hiring was customer service is everyone's job. So, um, you know, we were lucky enough at Naked Wines where I mean, it was just part of the culture. So even, you know, the MD, Eamon, me, Laura, who was the COO, we would all do a day a month in customer service. Like I would, I knew how to navigate the DVD dashboard. I knew, you know, I knew all of that stuff. And I am so glad that that was part of the culture there and so keen that it remains part of the culture um, at Lalo. Um, the, the only thing I would say is that um, I have found it like, exactly as you described actually to, um, Tony but like I, I've sometimes found it quite difficult as a marketer because it's almost like because you're the tip of the iceberg because you are the revenue driving part of the business it can be very frustrating to read customer service mm -hmm. emails because you're like oh my god if warehouse were just better at their job or you know if such and such hadn't over promised yeah. then I would be, you know, I'd be smashing my numbers. And, and I think that, you know, that's, that's also, the, when you were describing it, I, I had never thought about it in those terms, but actually making sure that everyone realizes that, do you know what, if, if the delivery is messed up that, and that customer doesn't come back to us, that's, that's on you. Or, yeah. or you know, if, if we don't have a great unboxing experience, that can't solely sit with the marketing team. So yeah. I, I think that was a really well-observed point and something that I, I, will take away from today, which is, you know, sales marketing isn't just, and customer yeah. ad advocacy isn't just the marketing team's responsibility. Yeah. Good, great point, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I think we are running uh, short on time for today. We'll take some questions from the audience in a minute. But before we take questions from the audience, I'm giving them a bit of time to think about it. Any one little tips or tricks that you would give to people who think about generating a happy customer base? 
I've sprung this question on them a little mm. bit. I would say that um, being really, or like using data to back up the decisions you make and to interrogate the assumptions you have is so valuable. And, and actually, sometimes it can be a bit tough, like you, know, you might not want to actually look at your returns rate, or you might not actually want to look at your CAC to lifetime value ratio because it might not be where you want it to be. Um, but once you've uh, sort of really like embraced that and lent into it, the path to making changes and, and improving it becomes so much better. So just not being scared to look into the numbers because it might be a bit scary. Don't shy away from the bad news. Yeah, exactly. I would say keep it simple and don't overcomplicate it. And I think as marketers, we and we live and breathe it. We want to tell every all of our consumers everything at all, you know at various points. And I think as a consumer, it can be quite overwhelming. And I think what I've done at WW is really strip back our onboarding journey and really strip back it to the essentials. And I and telling my team it may feel repetitive to you, but it's not to the consumer. And they need to be told that one message four times for it to land. And so as actually, don't shy away from that. Just keep things really, really simple and, and straightforward. Right. But also the data piece, yeah. It's, I, uh, my build on that is like be data informed, not data led. Because sometimes I think if we're led by data, we, 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 have, we have blinkers on and you forget mm. about your heart and you forget about your own experience. But if you're informed by the data and that you're actually allowing that to help guide and direct and, and, and um, make decisions, then that's, that's a nice value. Great. Thank you. Good tips. Any questions from anyone in the audience? Yes. Hi. Um, lovely to meet you. This is a question more directed to Laura, actually, because your company's at um, Lula. Um, how, how did you tackle making Lolo So actually, I would say we, we, we didn't. We took the, diff, the, the other approach. So um, all of our CRM comes from me and Laura um, and like is written as such. So this is, this is actually something that I learned at Naked. So if you are a Naked Minds angel, you would, it's changed now, but Eamon Fitzgerald, who was my boss, um, he was the MD. All of the emails would come from Eamon. So it's Eamon, the wine guy. Um, and they would look like there was no fancy like HTML. If you received a Naked Wines email, it looks like your, your friend has emailed you. Everything from, you know, the, the sort of design. I mean, it wasn't designed, um, I guess is the point, to sometimes he'd do like this, we call it fake forward, where he'd forward an email from a winemaker. Um, but more importantly than that, Eamon signed off everything with his name on it. So, you know, even if it was like, I mean, the guy was pretty busy, but he would, we couldn't send any comms until he, if it had Eamon on it, it had to be from him. And what was so amazing about that was we would get people replying to those emails, hundreds of replies, not just like one or two people who didn't understand email marketing, saying, hey, Eamon, I've got a wedding coming up. Um, what would you recommend for, you know, I want a Pinot Noir from the new world. What would you recommend? And it, it, people didn't necessarily believe, I don't know if they thought Eamon would be there, but it was amazing when we went to the tasting tours where we had um, angels come and fit, yeah, customers, we called them angels. Um, they would see him and it was like, oh my God, it's, it's Eamon. Like, oh, this is so exciting. So we've tried to make 
I mean, much as I find it personally extremely embarrassing and like confronting, you know, tried to make me and Laura the figureheads for the business. So on our social, we try and make sure that our faces are, you know, are in the posts, the emails come from us. And it actually, I think it helps to make, you know, our category, wine is about trust. You know, and we're asking people to buy three bottles of wine in one go and part with 35 quid. So, um, yeah, we're, probably the opposite is that we've, we've made ourselves front and centre of it. Thank you. Thank you. One more question over there. I mean, I'm looking over here. Um, so I, why do I love button-up box? Well, I'm going to firstly say, I don't even have a dog. So, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm advocating for them, despite the fact that I don't actually have a dog. I'm more of a cat person myself. But um, two things. I think firstly, you know, I love seeing on um, LinkedIn, you know, if, they've, if one of their customers has had bad news, um, like, you know, if they bring up to say, oh, I want to cancel because my dog died. <laughs> they send them a present, like they send them a present, or, you know, oh, I'm just signing up, I've got a new pet, they will send them a blanket. And it's not like sending them a code or sending them, you know, a button-up box. It's just like a thoughtful gift. And I see this so often. Once you're tapped into it, you'll see it too on, on LinkedIn. You know, all the time, you know, oh, I have this amazing experience, I have this amazing experience. Um, and secondly, um, and you guys can't tell them I said this, Kevin and Dave, who uh, run Button-up Box, have been the most amazing mentors to me and Laura. Um, you know, they are co-founders of a business. They um, have, you know, work in D2C and we, we spoke to them about getting some advice and they have been overly generous with their time, with their expertise. Um, and so on a personal level, I can say that the leadership at that business is like second to none. There are not, there's, there's not a better co-CEO um, in D2C in my mind. And I think for me, I mean, the proof is in the pudding of Jack. Um, he eats the food and he loves it. Um, <laughs> and so that's why I'm a massive advocate, because if you saw him before that, he wouldn't, like, he was just, he would just turn his nose up. What dog turns their nose up at food in the first place? So the fact that he eats it is great. But I think back to what I was saying earlier, too, is simplicity. I think the simplicity of the messaging and the conversation, it's, the, it's, it's immediately changed talking to me, to, but to talking to my dog, and it just brings that, the personality of a, of a dog owner and lover to life, and that's what I think is great about it. Right. Well, I think we are, we are running out of time now, but I, I wasn't expecting quite so much of this conversation to revolve around dog food. <laughs> I, I hope you have all taken something from it with a huge array of different sized businesses and different sectors that, that uh, Tony and Laura have worked in. Hopefully you've all got something that you can act on. Um, will you all join me in saying thank you very much to both of our panelists? Thanks for listening to this Advocacy Engineered presentation. To find out more about Mention Me and how our advocacy-first approach could drive growth for your business, visit mention-me.com.